Well, well, hallelujah. Take a seat, folks. Don't take them home. They're expensive things. Do you know, I, I, it's a joy for me. I, I remember pioneering my first ch- the first church a long time ago. And uh, I actually opened churches as a young man got started. I never had one go as quick as this. I didn't start a church. I didn't ever, we've started a number of churches, but I never started one where in 12 months, in one year, you've got world-class worship. And I'm not exaggerating. Where are all those, where are all those worship leaders? Where are you all? Who was the lady that was singing here that led? Where is Hannah? Where is she? An unbelievable voice. Is that your, that your, that's your dad? He was very proud. And the man on the drums is family. You're all geniuses. And all the rest of you related? No relation. Hey, great job. So how many kids have you got? Two, well done. Well done. What's your name, sir? What a pleasure to meet you. I think God's going to do something good for you today. And look at, look, at, look, at the crowd, look at the crowd you've got in 12 months. Mind you, when you stood up there, I thought, he's uh, not a shy man. Confident, full of the Holy Ghost. Good to meet you, Sarah. What a lovely lady. She, she's from Virginia. I'm starting to pick up some of those accents down here. I mean, I've done been eating quite a bit of that fried tomatoes. We've, in the last three days, we've been in New Orleans. We just did uh, a crusade down or a campaign. I don't use that word crusade because they're, they're brutal, those things. We just had uh, a campaign during Mardi Gras. So we were training them up. I did three days training them up for war and then hitting the streets of Mardi Gras. And then we did a, a conference for Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, we got on the plane. And we flew to Dallas, and then from Dallas we flew up to Nashville. And we hung around there for a couple of days, and then we, we headed down to Chattanooga, and now we're out here. And then tomorrow we fly across to Los Angeles and get in a car and drive up to Modesto to see a friend of mine, Glenn Buteau, who had a big heart attack, a good, very close friend of mine. And he said, come up here. So we're going to go up there, then we come back down, preach in L.A., then we catch a plane back to Australia. You get home, we get straight off the aeroplane, and you get, we go to the granddaughters. You do. What do you call that thing? Marriage thing. Yeah. Shower curtain. Shower something. What is it? Yeah, yeah. Thing. One of those things that you ladies do that are ridiculous. Ridiculous. Sit around, carry on like pork chops. Now, and then what do we do? Oh, yeah, my daughter's going to be in their house. In our, in our, we've got an apartment in, right in the heart of Melbourne. And uh, so we'll have people in the house a day before we get home, wrecking the place. And this is life. This is normal life. And what, it's a joy to come out here. You know, I've learned something. I've learned something. I'm 71. I'm smart like a fox. You get smart. But you learn that if you come out and bless a church when they're just getting going... When they've got 20,000 people, you get easier. You, you will have a, let me prophesy, you're going to have a great church here. And when you've got 10,000 people, you go, 
we'll get that old fella. He's about, you know, he's getting on a bit. And we'll get him in to preach and I'll come around. I remember when I came and preached for the first time. And, and this is lovely. I went from Melbourne, Australia, from a church called Planet Shakers. Do you know Planet Shakers? Sam Evans, who is Jackie's daughter, and uh, they're our kids. And uh, good, it's a big church in Melbourne there, about 20-odd thousand people. But they started, the church started, we got roped into coming and joining them seven years ago. Come over and make this your home base. So we gave a church to my son back in Adelaide and headed over there. And uh, it's now... 20-something thousand people and growing. I think it grew, what did we grow? 3,000 last year or something. It's, it's amazing. And it, it started off 10, 15 years ago. Now 20,000. 20, where, where are you going to be in 15 years, should the Lord tarry? The whole city. Rome shall be saved. Rome. Rome. I just told people, that I got from Chattanooga to Rome in one hour. They said, what jet were you on? How many people need a miracle today? I've lost one of my glasses. I know. Have a rest. My preaching and music mix like, I'm like a cement mixer. It's just, it's lovely. And I just don't, music and I just don't mix when I preach. I'm, I'm like a gravelly, but you are magnificent. You'll come back later then, won't you? And help me. All right. All right. Can you understand anything I've got to say? I can really talk Australian if you want me to. Like, that's not a knife. That's a knife. Just some kids messing around. Bit of croc dundee. But I can speak a number of accents to make it easier. I need a Scottish accent if that's going to help you. Do a little bit of the Irish accent or whatever, but I'll try and speak American. English? English? English yeah. What 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 part of England are you? Oxford. Oxford? No, I'm quite capable. Oh, very good. Yeah, so you're from Old Blight, yeah? <laughs> I say. All right then. All right then, Governor. Great to have you. <laughs> Lovely to see you like. We're going down to White Hart Lane to see Spurs. Anyway. No one understood that. I'm going to preach. Is that okay? Would anyone like a miracle from God? Would, would, would anyone like to be changed today by the power of God? How many would like to go out of this building today and go, I'm never going to be the same? I'd like to, in the next four hours, no. I'd like us to have an encounter with God. We're not here just for church. It's such a touch of God here now and uh, God's going to do something good if you've got your Bible I want you to turn to the book of Mark no Matthew would be better and it is an absolute joy as I said Pastor Chase I've had the wrong phone number I've been contacting some bloke called Chase who I have no idea who he is telling him about our travels what we're doing when we're going to be there trying to be really efficient because my PA wasn't that efficient but She's uh, finished yesterday. Um, she's had a brief... No, she's all right. She was okay. She let us down a little bit. But I don't know who the poor guy is I've been contacting. He's going, huh? And it wasn't you. And I'm thinking, this guy, Chase, he's a great pastor. I've heard great things about him. He never answers his phone. <laughs> never gets back. And he thinks I've... 
failing to communicate. It was a breakdown, wasn't it? The devil did it. My glasses are pretty good. It's like looking through a clam chowder this morning. Thank you, Father, for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the power of your spirit. We give you praise and we give you worship this morning because you're going to do something powerful. Holy Spirit, would you come and heal people right through this place? Would you empower people? Father, may we go out changed in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Is that the second time I've prayed? When you turn 70, I'm 71, Jackie's of course much younger, but uh, when you turn 70, three things go wrong. The first one is you start to forget a lot of things. And I don't remember what the other two were, but I know they're important. (laughs) When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Get a word of knowledge. Matthew 16. Didn't you all pick that up in the spirit? What's wrong? I thought you were really spiritual. I felt the power of God here. Thought that people would be reading this with a word of knowledge. Lord Jesus, help us. Not as spiritual as I thought. And the, I'll start again. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. I'm an evangelist. I travel the world. We travel the world. We preach all over the place in India, Pakistan, um, uh, right through the South Pacific, Africa, Asia. We've been everywhere, man. And uh, preach to little places, big places, medium places, preach underground to Greek miners and the underground dugouts in uh, Kubapiti and uh, the opal mining town to crowds of 100,000 people, 50,000, 40 big crowds. Um, mix it up. I'm happy to be where God wants me to be and it's a delight today. So anyway, I said that before. I'm repeating myself. We didn't get any sleep last night, did we? Anyway, I'll get there. Did I start again? Yeah, I know. That's what I said. Verse 13. Now, let's delete all of that. That's old age. Now, Father, help me. I'm right now. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said unto him, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets. But he looked at them and I guarantee he looked Peter in the eye and he said, and who do you guys say that I am? Who do you say I am? And uh, they gave him all these answers, one of the prophets, etc. But he said, but who do you guys say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and he said, you're the Christ, you're the promised one. You're the son of the living God. You're the promised Messiah. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And he went on and he said, On this revelation, you're the rock, and on this revelation I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged them that they tell no man that he was the Christ. Tell no man. It's an interesting bit of scripture. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. 
Have anyone, anyone here been to Caesarea Philippi? Who knows all about Caesarea Philippi? Who could tell me a lot about Caesarea Philippi? Anyone? Praise God. I can tell you anything and probably will. Caesarea Philippi was a very interesting place. Jesus began his ministry in the lowest part of Israel. Uh, John was baptizing at Bethabara, which was the crossing place there where the children of Israel had crossed over the Jordan, right down almost as low, well, not quite the Dead Sea, but right down in the lowest part. And they headed up gradually up through the whole region into Galilee and all the ministry in Galilee. And he took them up now to the highest point, Mount Hermon or Mount Hermon, if you're Jewish, Mount Hermon. And uh, there at the base of Mount Hermon or Mount Hermon, water flows out. In fact, it's the source of the River Jordan. Now, it's a very interesting place because the river seems to not run down with the snow from the sides, but the river floods out from under the mountain. So what happens is that the snow melts, the snows of Mount Hermon that are spoken of in the Scripture melt, but they come down inwardly into the mountain and they form this river that floods out through several sources at the base. And it's quite, it seems quite mystical. And in ancient times, pagan people found that it was a sacred supernatural place and uh, they dedicated it to gods. Seleucus III, not Antiochus Epiphanes, um, who you read of in Daniel chapter 11, but his uh, predecessor, Seleucus III, um, he had a great victory there in battle. And he dedicated it to the god Pan. Now the god Pan, you've probably seen pictures of him, half goat, half man, dancing around, playing a flute. He was mischievous. In fact, the pictures of him that we see are really boiled down. Um, he was very... Uh, crude, and many of the pictures of him are very pornographic in there, uh, in the way they, they're shown. He was a, a god of, of filth and, and mischief and uh, a troublemaker. And according to legend, he was a god who was cast down and became a man. At that place, Herod the Great went, and he dedicated the, the place and thought it was a great place and his son Philip the Tetrarch later went there and uh, he was quite excited. He was trying to get in favour as did the Herodians all the time with the Caesars because they were puppets under Caesar, puppet king. Herod was actually an Edomite and his son and they wanted to have favour um, with the, uh, the Caesars and at this point it was Caesar Augustus and so Philip decided to dedicate this place with a big temple to the god Pan and all these grottos and they sacrificed goats there. In fact, they had these dancing goats that, um, goats that, and they still do dance. If you look up Google, I was looking it up recently, you can find dancing goats. So when you've got a bit of time on your hand and you just want a bit of entertainment, don't do it now. Now put your phone away. You're about looking up. Um, he's not. English people are too proper. And well behaved to do that. But look up Dancing Goats. You'll be amused. If you've got nothing else to do. I've done it. But they would sacrifice these goats to Pan and they would cast them in through this massive cavern which was called the Gates of Hades. 
and they would cast the goats in. And if your goat floated, it was accepted. If it sunk, you had to go back and get another goat. People were trying to get favor with the gods there. And they were sacrificing. If you're in the goat business, it's big money. But Philip decided to dedicate the place to the Caesar. And so he had a temple built there to Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus was the man who later became, in the eyes of Rome, a god. In fact, he was called the son of God. And so you had a temple there to a god who supposedly had become a man. And a man who in the eyes of Rome had become a God and was called the Son of God. And Jesus brought his disciples to that very place and he sat them down and he asked them a question. He said, this is an interesting spot. We've got a temple here to a God who became a man and we've got a temple here to a, a God or a man who claims to be a God. In fact, he's called the Son of God, but I want to ask you a question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who am I? Who do you think I am? And I, I think they must have had some idea. They'd seen enough, but I don't think they were certain. And they said, well, some say, some people say that you, one of the prophets, John the Baptist or Elijah, one of the prophets. But he said, who do you say I am? And it was Peter who spoke up and he said, you're the Christ. Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for you have had a revelation that's going to change the world. And, and Peter, the rock, on this revelation, I'm going to build my church. And he said, Peter, you're going to bind, you're going to loose, you're going to be amazed because on this revelation, you're going to move into a realm of power and authority that is unspeakable and full of glory. Now, we take this piece of scripture and we ask the question, Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? But if Jesus were here right now, which he is, see, he asked them the question, then he told Peter who Peter is or was. And see, we like to know who Jesus is and who he can be to us and what he can do for us and how he can touch us and how he can change us and all the great things that Jesus is. But what about when he asks you and I and says, and who does my father say you are in me? Who does the father say that today you are? I'm a, a huge fan of the Apostle Paul. I love the Apostle Paul. If you take the, the writings of the Apostle Paul and the epistles of Paul, excuse me, moving some notes here. If you take the epistles of Paul, right through, he is constantly declaring who we are, who we are in Christ, what we are in Christ, what we carry in Christ, who's in us, what he can do through us, how he can do it. We begin to grasp that something changes. We, get, we begin to get an understanding of what we're carrying. When you stand up with 100,000 people out there, you need a reasonable understanding of who's in you, what he can do through you, and where you stand. And Paul, in the book of Ephesians, and for me, the first three chapters of Ephesians are my favorite part of the Bible. In fact, 
Uh, I opened them up here and Ephesians 2 fell out. Um, it's not a pretty part of my Bible, but I love Ephesians. I've chewed Ephesians to pieces and, and uh, if I can find it somewhere in this... Where are we? What? Where's my glasses? Looks like old age sneaking in here a little. I can't confess that, but here we are. from six the other night and that's gone <laughs> so I have to try and memorise it but Paul declared that we're in him when we got saved we invited Jesus to come into us but the truth is that he came into our lives but we stepped into him he's in us but we're in him how many are glad about that yeah. and so in Ephesians the first three chapters if you break Ephesians up first chapter tells you who you are in him what you have in him, the power that's available in him. In chapter 2, we read where we're seated in him, this supernatural joining with him. Chapter 3, we come into an understanding of the fullness of him actually coming to indwell us. In chapter 4, we get an understanding where he says he's given apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry till we all come to the unity of the faith unto the full statue, to the full measure of the statue of Christ. Have you ever thought that God's plan for you and I is to bring us to the full measure of the statue of Christ? In character and in power, in authority, in demonstration over disease and death. We've had the thrill of... Uh, Seeing some dead people raised in our meetings. Seeing two little kids that got raised in the meetings. One had been dead for two and a half hours. Seen some pretty extraordinary things over 40, 46 years now, Jackie. All over the earth. He is a remarkable God. How many know he's remarkable? He likes, he's an extraordinary God who likes to use ordinary people. <laughs> not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things. Um, I believe the word for foolish there is moreno, which is the Greek word from which we get moron. Um, <laughs> as they beheld the boldness of Peter and John, recognized they were unlearned and ignorant. That were men, they recognized they'd been with Jesus. The word for ignorant there is the Greek word idiotus. Not hard to work out what that's. So it tells me that idiots and morons are some of the people he loves to use most. That's why I was called. I was called for that, that very purpose. Oh. So in Ephesians, after Ephesians 4, in fact, 4 through to 6, it's like these are all the glorious things I'll do in you, but now put your overalls on and walk worthy. And then in 6, he says, hey, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Be supernaturally infused with the dynamic power of God. Be strong. En dunamu. En, and the word for dunamis or dunamis in the dynamic capacity and ability of Christ. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he uses two words there. 
Kratos, Kratos and Ishkus. And Kratos is dominion, eruptive power, the power that will shake a prison open, that will snap chains. Um, Ishkus is forceful, driving forward power. Um, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armour. Word for armour, panoplia. Better translated, full weaponry. The Romans didn't put on their weapons to go and defend. They put on their armour and their weapons to go and kill. We don't put the armour on just to defend. It's not defensive. It's offensive. You're born to rule, to reign. And so in Ephesians 1, he tells us who we are. And God wants us to know who we are. Paul writes you in him. In him you've got redemption. In him you, you, you've been redeemed. In him you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You're sealed. In him we're joint heirs. Can you understand today that you're sitting here a little tiny minuscule. Is that the word? Minuscule? It sounds good anyway. It sounds good. Minuscule. Minu- very small. Particle. Tiny. And yet the eternal God of the universe, the great creator, has come to indwell you. Not only to indwell you, but to be joined together with you. One spirit with you. All the fullness of God in Ephesians 3 verse 19. All the fullness of God has come to indwell us. The pleroma, the overflowing fullness of Christ has come within us. And as a result, we're able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we could ask or think according to the power that right now is at work within us. We are turbocharged. If we just understand it, we are supercharged. We could get loud now. With the city-shaking, prison-breaking, chain-breaking, dead-raising power of the Holy Ghost. Paul prayed and he said, he said, I want you to know who you are. He said, I cease not to pray. In Ephesians 1 verse 16, is it? I cease not to pray for you. 15, 16 there, somebody can help me. I cease not to pray for you. Having heard of your faith and your love, I cease not to pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you and to me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the intimate knowledge of him. And then he says, the eyes of your understanding. He said, I keep praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you might know three things. He says, it's my prayer that a different set of eyes would open. If you see the Hindus come out of the temple, they have a red spot here. You can pick up your American dollar and have a look at the occultic symbol on the back of your one dollar, of the all-seeing eye of Horus on the back of your dollar, and the lovely words, New World Order, on the one dollar bill. Have you all seen that? That'll get a conversation going pretty easily. But the all-seeing eye represents the eye to another realm. But the realm that that's looking into is not the one we look into. See, Paul said, I want you to see into another dimension. It's the dimension that's outside of time. It's the dimension that is outside limitation. 
It is the dimension that is outside man's understanding. It's a dimension that is not restricted by time and not touched by doubt. Why do we pray in the language of the Holy Ghost? People say, why do we... Well, I don't know if I want to speak in tongues. The Bible says, he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to man but unto God. For out of his spirit he's speaking mysteries. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, builds himself up, builds a spiritual house. What happens when we pray on the Holy Ghost? I'll tell you what happens when we pray on the Holy Ghost. We lock into the unseen realm and these eyes begin to open. These eyes open to the dimension where the miraculous is the normal. And the great challenge as Christians is not to live in this natural realm as most Christians do, but to live in the realm where the eyes of our understanding open so that we see and feel and know even though we're walking in a natural realm, we're not walking by what is seen, but we're walking in a realm where we are conscious that this natural realm that we see is actually controlled by a realm that is outside and our spiritual eyes are open to understand how the whole thing's working. And so Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, flooded, illuminated. I believe the Greek word for tizo it's the word from which we get phosphorus, like a blast, like Saul of Tarsus had his spiritual eyes blasted wide open as he rode on the Damascus Road and suddenly there was a light that was brighter than the sun and it was the middle of the day and he fell to the ground. For the next three days, I guarantee all he could see was that light. Blinded by the light for three days, but he was seeing into another dimension. Everything that he'd seen of religion was blasted out. Religion can get blasted out by one flash of the illumination of the Spirit of God. Just one touch here in this meeting today. See, I'm getting a bit excited here. We could easily start to just walk around here. And we will in a moment. I can't wait to lay hands on a few people. Excuse me getting excited. It's just... Uh, I'm so excited I have to blow my nose. <laughs> about, about this stage of just about every meeting I preach in, I've got to blow my nose. About this time, don't I? It's a tradition. I always know there's something wrong. This is the time. Anyone that needs to blow their nose? No, did I get a clean handkerchief? It was clean. Yes. Jackie, always just make sure you got a clean handkerchief. My mother always used to say, make sure you're wearing clean underwear in case you get hit by a car. <laughs> they say the same here? get hit by a car, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you get to the hospital, they're not going to go, oh, no, no, he, he's not wearing clean underwear. What a disgrace. His mother must be a terrible, dirty underwear. Anyway, there we are. Spiritual eyes open. Interesting that faith doesn't come by seeing. It comes by hearing. What happens when we hear the Word of God? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. What happens? It just opens a different set of eyes. These eyes are deceptive. I watched that Penn and Teller and total atheists. Total atheists and don't like God. But the interesting magic on there, which is all sleight of hand, and I watch it and I go, I'll pick this up. 
I pick up nothing. <laughs> Mainly because my glasses are probably too fogged up. Run that back. Get on YouTube. Right, I'm going back. How did that guy get that thing out of his nose? How did that guy pull a pack of cards out of his left ear? Sleight of hand. The eye can be very deceptive. Sleight of hand proves that. Guys make elephants disappear and stuff. But the word of God opens this area. It's not deceived by anything. Intimacy with God, keeping this door open, keeps us in a very safe place. So he says, I pray your eyes will be open to see three things. Number one, the hope of your calling. The uh, word hope in English is a weak word. It means maybe something's going to happen. Hope, maybe, perhaps, could be. But the Greek word is a lot stronger than that. It is a certain confidence and assurance of hope. Amen? The hope of your invitation, the confident certainty of this thing into which you've been invited. You have a confident certainty. Do you like the way I said that certainty? It was like full of authority. Certainty. That you've been brought into Rome for a purpose. And you're all together going, we're in this church for a purpose. And it, we're not just hoping something's going to happen. We have the deep... In, I walked in here and I thought, this is going to be a very big church. If you're not even a year old and you're already... You've got people on the balcony. Look, four of them. <laughs> Where do you go from here? Do you own this? You're going to need a big place. But there's a certainty that you're called into something. We're just getting all excited. I'm, uh, this year we're doing crusades in campaigns. So many this year, it's crazy. It is crazy. You're 70, you're not supposed to be charging around the world like a lunatic. There's a rule. It's, it's in Hezekiah 19.4. And it says, when you're over 70, calm down. <laughs> I'll read it to you. Has it, has it, no, Hezekiah 17 verse 4. Have a look at it. It says, when you're over 70, retire, buy a Volvo, get a cat, get a rocking chair, and sit on the back porch drinking lattes and doing the Sudoku. That's what it says. It's a miracle I even knew about those things, isn't it? Did anyone look that up? It's just someone at the back going, oh, I can't read that. I hope of your calling. Let's get serious now. And he says, I want you to see the riches of your inheritance in glory in the saints, in the doxa, the riches of your inheritance in the weight of his copious splendor and honor and prosperity and blessing and favor and fullness and satisfaction. He says, I want you to see the utter dimension of divine, supernatural power and glory that I want to pour on you. But then he says, the third thing, he says, I want your eyes open that you might know 
the unlimited magnitude, that's my translation, exceeding abundance, unlimited magnitude of divine power. Superabundance, unlimited, is hupabella megathos in the Greek. Hupabella to throw way beyond. Megathos, mega. Unable to be calculated. He said, I want you to see the unlimited magnitude of power. That's the Greek word dunamis, 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 which is divine, miraculous, God-delegated ability, capacity to do what Jesus did. Unlimited magnitude of God's divine, miraculous ability. Usward. Usward. According to the working, that's the word energeo, which is a forceful pushing forward, embracing, filling, taking hold, according to the working of his mighty power. He uses those two words, um, kratos and iskus. Kratos in the Koine Greek, which the translation of the Bible comes from the Koine Greek. The New Passion Version is actually translated, did you know, from the Aramaic? Which is interesting. Interesting translation, actually, the Passion. I don't mind it. But our translations are from the Koine Greek, which is a language that went back to Philip of Macedonia and his son Alexander when the Greek states came together and they formed a language, which was the people's language. It's like a common language. It's not classic Greek. It's the people's Greek. It was spoken at the time of Christ. They spoke in Greek and Aramaic. Um, they actually used the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. But back at that time, Kratos, right back at the time of the establishment of that language, they were deeply into mythology and the gods, and Kratos was this powerful god. Kids play all this, maybe adults do too, these crazy... Well, it used to be Dungeons and Dragons about 40 years ago. I don't know what they play now, all this... Strange stuff. We used to play table tennis. We go, can technology ever advance on this? When I was a kid, the greatest piece of technology we had, we didn't have a phone, we had two tins with strings. The greatest piece of uh, technology I had was a dog. People have all these alarm systems, home systems. A dog. Air conditioning? No. My mother was always scared someone would break in the house. So all the windows were nailed down in the middle of summer. No air conditioning. Boil. We used, to, we used to travel in a Hillman Minx. Now, that's an English car. Remember when the English used to make 10 horsepower rubbish cars? They weighed two tons with a, with a rubber band for an engine. Hillman Minx. You understand a Hillman Minx? We used to travel in that thing. It would boil. We'd go 400 miles in 12 hours, 10 hours, with a dog with flatulence. <laughs> no air conditioning and a dog with flatulence. They were the days. Break down, spend Christmas Eve at Lake Kalalarane, sitting in the car waiting for Santa to come, hoping he'd find you at Lake Kalalarane. He never did. 
Where was I up to? The unlimited magnitude of power according to the working of his mighty power. Kratos, eruptive, demonstrative. Kratos was the God who was the bodyguard of Zeus. And so the word Kratos speaks of powerful dominion, utter the dominion of the strongest of the gods. That's where it goes back to. The most fierce, strongest of the gods. And now, when Paul uses the word kratos, the Greeks at Ephesus knew exactly what he was saying. This is a power that's your mighty power. This is the power that'll snap chains. This is the power that'll break a city open. This is the power that'll go through a dead child. Raise it up. When am I supposed to finish? We okay for another five minutes? Then I'm going to pray for a few. You all okay? I'm a bit sidetracked. I've had a very sidetracked day. We've been going flat out for a month. We don't know where we are, what time of the day it is, what state. And we couldn't sleep last night. We had about four hours each last night and got up at some ridiculous hour of the morning wondering where we were confused. So if this meeting is a bit message a bit confused and you're taking notes, you can go through them later. And uh... But I'll go straight back where I was according to the working of his mighty power which he exerted in the dead body of Jesus when God raised him from the dead. What's he saying? To you has been given an unlimited magnitude of divine power, so supernatural that it's the very same power that we read here in Ephesians 1 that went through the dead body of Jesus when God raised him from the dead. So God is saying... You are filled with an unlimited magnitude of resurrection power. What you carry, what I carry, what we carry. When I go into a meeting, even a meeting like this, the whole time I'm thinking and watching and looking for people that we can put a hand on, not just to pray some nice prayer, but to impart the resurrection power and see a sick body instantly healed. We're just over in Oklahoma City with uh, Pastor Tony over there and a little lady all bent over, spine, crack, the spine just went straight, went straight. A little boy in San Diego just a little while back had a stroke at seven. His little arm hung. All he wanted to do was work with a camera and we, he took his hand, started to pray, next thing. Hands moving. That night he's working the camera with both hands. He's 10 now. 10 now. We've probably seen every miracle over the years. We, we're just in the Solomon. I took a team to, we took a team of 100, three trips into Vanuatu. We had half the city come out in, in uh, was it, what's the capital there? Port Vila? No, somewhere over there. We had, eight, I don't know, 46, well, nearly half the city out. And we had our team. God said, "Get it. Call every deaf person, or tell them to bring the deaf. You don't call the deaf; they don't come. But you, you, you know, I'm not that, not being crude, but you know, you can say, deaf, come here.' So bring the deaf up. We had a line of 35 deaf. Three of them were mutes from birth, and I got the first one. And I've got the whole crowd. We've got this big crowd out there watching." I start praying for this first guy, and the demon's going, I'm not going anywhere. You are. One of us is going to give way. It could be a long night. And I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, we need you here. There's a whole crowd of watching to see where this meeting goes. I started to get very aggressive, and 
told, called this demon a lot of names under my breath, all Christian names, but <laughs> next thing, bang, and the ear came open. I went, well, hallelujah. It was like, inside it was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And I prayed for the next one. It was like, pop. I got to the third one, and I talked to this young guy from Texas. I said, Tucker, do you believe that Jesus is going to heal this girl? He says, yes, pastor. I said, get up here then. Up he came, laid hands, bang. We went down the line, 35 got their hearing and the three mutes were hearing and speaking. Every one of them. And we, with our teams, we work with them and train them up. One of the guys was on that trip and in five days he had, what did he have? Over 50 deaf people healed. Now he's moving out doing crusades around the world, getting miracles, campaigns all over the world, just catching that. We are carriers of the most powerful thing in the universe. Christ has actually come to indwell you. Who are you today? You're the head, not the tail. You're above only, never below. You are filled with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You're seated with him in heavenly places, far above all rule, principality, power and dominion. You are seated with him in the heavenly realm. You're more than a conqueror. In everything that comes against you, it doesn't matter what it is, angels, principalities, powers, there's nothing in all of these things. You are an overwhelming conqueror, unstoppable conqueror. You're born to rule and reign. If through one man's sin, death reigns, how much more shall we who have received the gift of righteousness reign as kings in life by one Christ Jesus? You are filled with all the fullness of God. Um, nothing's impossible to us. We'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Um, the enemy will come against us one way and he'll flee seven. Uh, and etc. etc. God is able to do through you exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you could ask or think. And God's here today. He's in you. He's in me. Where two or three of us are gathered together, he's in the midst. When we're together like this, we can ask anything we want. And God will do it. God is here to touch people in their body. God's here to touch people in their emotions, touch people in their minds. He's here to touch you miraculously in this place today. Before we do, I want to ask you a question. By the way, you look fantastic. This place is packed. It's like a sardine tent, full. It looks nice. Have you done it all up? Look at this. I bet it, was, I bet it didn't have those lights when it was first built. It's an old Methodist place, is it? Is it? Who was it? Yeah. What, what denomination was it? I bet it didn't have a green wall. I'm an old Methodist. They would have stood up in the pulpit there and, Yes, brethren, we're here in church today for what's going to be a lovely message from the Reader's Digest. And all together now, let us sing together hymn number 27 in the hymnal. I'm, an, I'm a fan of the Methodists, don't you worry about that. I, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Methocostal. Hey, John Wesley was a champion. Who's, don't mock the Methodists, you lot. Excuse me, painted their walls green and put lights in. Our heads are bowed. 
Man, I just feel like we're warmed up. Just warming up. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Most wonderful thing in the world is to be in Christ. Every person longs to have Christ within them and to be in Christ. There is a God-shaped vacuum in every person. And people try to fill it. I try to fill it with booze and nonsense for years. Never satisfied. Like the Rolling Stones. I was 15 years of age when Mick Jagger pranced around first singing, I can't get no satisfaction. Though he tried and he tried and he tried. And there's people out there and they're still singing, they can't get no satisfaction. And without Christ, we'll never really find satisfaction. But to as many as receive him, he gives the power to become his own children. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder how many today would say, Jesus, I need to know you personally. I need to come back to you. I need to be born again by the Spirit of God. I need a new beginning. Here in Rome and this morning, I need you to come and touch me. I want you in my life. I want you to fill the vacuum. I want you to give me eternal satisfaction on the inside. I want to know that I'm saved. If that's you right now, across this building, and you say, I want Christ, I want to come back, or I want to find him for the first time, would you lift your hand wherever you are so I can see it and then put it down? Just lift it up so I can see it and then put it down. Are there those? You say, I want to know him today. I want to go out of here knowing that I'm saved. Anyone at all? I want you to lift your hands all across the building. Everyone, just lift your hands to the Lord. Say, Holy Spirit, just come. Just come. Just come. Just come. Just come. come. I'll get someone to just move the preaching paraphernalia for me, just the pulpit there. The Spirit of the Lord's here to touch you this morning. <sighs> the sister in the second row, the Spirit of the Lord's on you. Just come, yeah, just come up this way. 